Good morning and welcome to Ask Andy. This is a daily podcast about personal injury practice in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. I'm Andrew Newworth. <clears throat> you can reach me on the web at newworthlaw, N-E-U-W-I-R-T-H-L-A-W.com. Uh, and there's phone numbers and all that. So I wanted to talk to you today about a weird kind of wrinkle that your average person may not know about personal injury and kind of how lawyers look at things. So, and the weird wrinkle is the following. Before we file a case, the insurance company on the other side is not required to tell us how much money they have in insurance. Sometimes we can guess, sometimes we can kind of weasel it out of them. Uh, sometimes they'll tell us, but there's no legal requirement that they do so, and a lot of companies just refuse to. So what does that mean? That means that you know you could have a very serious injury. Let's say you have an injury that, to me, might be worth two or three hundred thousand dollars, and you know that means fracture something with surgery, but you're going to recover. Um, but I don't know what the insurance coverage is on the other side. So I don't know if the car that hit you has 15,000, which is the minimum, or, you know, a million, which is a more common corporate policy. I don't know, you know, if you have a $5 million policy, or I don't know anything between 15,000 to a million. Now, what does that do to your case? Well, first of all, it kind of leaves the client in the dark, because they don't know what they're going to get out of the case before the case is filed. And we do try and settle cases pre-suit or before filing suit because the client ends up oftentimes, you know, with more money if we have a clearly defined injury and clearly defined healing. <clears throat> so, you know, w- what does that mean that we don't know what the insurance is? Well, you know, if we're going to settle a case, the insurance company is going to have to prove to us at the end of the day what the insurance amount is. So if you're in serious negotiations about pre-suit settlement, you probably will know, but I've got several cases right now where uh, nobody was willing to tell me what the insurance co- insurance coverage was, and the net result, what happens is that you end up having to sue more people than you might normally just to sort of cover your tail and make sure that there is enough insurance coverage when you do file suit. It's a bit of a headache to add players or to add defendants to a case once you filed it. And it's kind of a little, it looks a little sloppy too. Like you kind of want to put your case in knowing all the facts or knowing as many as you can um, and not having to add defendants over time. You know, you want to put in a nice clean case with a good theory about each defendant. But sometimes, look, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about or getting ready to put a case in to suit where I know that there's a person who hit my my client has not enough insurance and I have to put I have to file suit against some other players or some other parties that may have responsibility in order to collect enough insurance to make um the client whole. So but it's not something where I can reach out and, and tell them I'm gonna sue them because it just doesn't make sense in this particular case. So I'm kind of shooting in the dark about what the insurance is and that's you know 
for me, it's going to be interesting or not. For the client, it's a little bit like, you know, <laughs> a mystery. Like, why don't I know what the insurance is? Um, so, but pretty early on in my in my career, you know, I learned that it's better to tell the client how much insurance there is and what the total, you know, available recovery is going to be than, you know, keep that a mystery. So, but it, look, I've talked to other lawyers at conferences and in other states, things are totally different. In other states, you send a letter to a defendant, they have to immediately tell you what their insurance coverage is so you have a better sense of who to pursue and, and when and whether. So, um, you know, but I'll give you a real world example I'm working on right now, which is, you know, I, I, I sued a company and someone that they... Uh, did business with, but I, I'm pretty sure that the person they did business with is not insured just by kind of, you know, gut feel and experience. Like, I kind of had a feeling that this person wasn't insured. So what does that mean? Like, how does that affect anything or does it affect anything? Yeah, it does. If you're going to sue someone who's not insured, then you are taking a bit of a risk as the lawyer and the client because what happens if you get a you know a nice $300,000 verdict against someone who can't pay it zero what happens well so from a lawyer's perspective what you got to do is you got to find a way for that uninsured person to be employed by a company or a contractor or, you know, to have some other connection to insurance coverage. So somebody else is responsible for, you know, that person's negligence. Okay. So in my case, I'm discussing, you know, I have this guy who was working, who did something stupid and somebody was injured as a result. You know, I can't go too much into the details because that case is ongoing, but it's a pretty common fact pattern. I am going after someone who was responsible for my client having injuries, but I have to basically show that he was employed by this by this business. I, my guess is that he wasn't employed, but the appearance of employment will mean that for the most part, he's going to have coverage or the same coverage as the business, and businesses usually have $1 million for automobile policies and $1 million for uh, premises policies or, you know, slip and falls or other, you know, construction accidents, this and that. So, you know, the way it plays out in typical situations is if a driver is driving a commercial truck and swerves and crashes into my my lady and runs her off the road and she's injured, I'm going to end up suing the driver because he's really the one who did wrong, but I'm also going to sue the business. And I'm assuming that the driver is an employee, but sometimes he may be an independent contractor. The driver's own personal coverage insurance probably won't be impacted if he's working for the business. Um, but who knows? You know, there are weird things that happen in life, like people's commercial trucks get stolen, and the person who steals the truck is not going to have insurance <laughs> for the stolen truck, but the business may, and what's your claim going to be against the business then? Well, you know, you got to basically make a claim that the crash wouldn't have happened if the business had 
uh, done a better job of securing their trucks or not left them running or not left them keys out or who knows what. But, you know, it's a situation like I'm describing where the person who caused the ultimate crash is not going to have insurance coverage. You're not going to get a recovery for your client unless you, you know, think about the parameters and plan them out ahead. So these are, you know, some of the more strategic considerations we have as lawyers. The clients mostly don't think about them until you sit and explain them. Um, And I've talked a little bit in past podcasts. There are situations where you know, the available insurance coverage is just not enough and you have to go looking for someone else who may have tangential involvement with your case, but who has a larger insurance policy because your client is so badly injured that um, any available insurance policy is better than the one that you are stuck with. So that's enough for today. Hope you have a great 2020. This has been Ask Andy. I hold people accountable.